It's the Geeky Waffle Podcast. Today we're talking Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I'm Candace, and with me is Britt. Hey, Britt. Hello. So we got to do one of the coolest things ever. And we were in Hollywood, and we attended the premiere of this movie. And it was insane, right? <laughs> it was very surreal. I still can't believe that I was like three meters away from Harrison Ford. Not mentally prepared for that portion of this <laughs> event in any way possible. Yeah, definitely. And we just want to preface this by saying we had both been awake for at least over 24 hours at this point. We're going to do our best to remember everything from this movie. Definitely going to see it again soon once it comes out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thursday night, baby. No, we're there. This movie is the first and only Anita Jones movie not directed by Steven Spielberg. He was originally going to direct it, but eventually stepped down and said he said he wanted to pass the film series to a new filmmaker for a fresh perspective. So James Mangold directed it, and it was co-written by Mangold, Jez Butterworth, John Henry Butterworth, and David Cope. And overall feelings about the movie, Brett, how did you feel about it? I feel good. I feel like it was a heartwarming adieu to someone that we've spent our entire lives with. Mangold did a fantastic job honoring um steven spielberg who is one of his heroes and someone he admired greatly and took the spirit of a spielberg adventure film but still made it his own yeah it still had that heart right the heart of indiana jones to it yeah and i felt like when i was a little kid watching indiana jones for the first time that adventure that rush of course it has that music by john williams that is so iconic and amazing and he conducted live, and Britt and I both lost our freaking mind. Yes. I hoped, like, I had in the back of my mind, maybe, like, maybe, because this is the last film that he was going to conduct a score for, for retiring. And, like, I was really hopeful, because I just honestly never thought I'd be able to see him perform live. That was just yeah. not something I thought that was in the cards for me. And I think that was the most emotional moment of the night for me personally. I because cried. I've always felt like, uh, yes, absolutely. But I feel like we've always been like a couple degrees away from seeing him live, especially during Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim last year when he performed the score for Obi-Wan Kenobi during the big Lucasfilm showcase panel. Mm-hmm. And then there was also when he performed for the 40th anniversary panel of star wars in early and no like it's like he's always like there so close he's so far it was just the most incredible experience to finally and to actually see him in person live conducting yeah it was definitely on my bucket list i was trying to go to the hollywood bowl last year because he was conducting but the trip just didn't pan out and i was just like just might be one of those things i don't get to do and i had no idea who was going to actually conduct i thought maybe he'll walk on stage and just be like hey with george lucas and kathleen kennedy be like yeah i'm here wave to the crowd but no full orchestra playing the new song that is helena's theme which 
was beautiful, played by Phoebe Waller Bridge. Yes. I think he didn't he also perform Mutt's theme and of course the Raiders March. Yeah. So we got a good mix of the new and old. Okay. So we're getting into spoiler territory now. And let's go into Indiana Jones' character in this movie. He's at his lowest, I would say. Yeah. He's grieving. Yeah. He's, yes. And it's a different kind of grief than we saw him experiencing in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Because in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, like, he has that moment at the beginning of the film where he's like, we're at the point in our lives where things are being taken from us rather than given to us. And then, of course, like, he's given the the knowledge that he has a child and like you think like oh this turned around for him but like then we come back to dial of destiny and just from the moment we see harrison sitting in that armchair after the big opening sequence you're like he's been through something he's going through something and you can feel the fragility of his age at this point. Yeah. And a lot of us were worried that maybe they killed off Marion because we didn't see her in the trailer at all. But no, they're separated because they're both grieving. And it really makes sense because at that time, so many people lost sons to the war. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to Mutt. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I figured that like, that might be the route that they were going, but mm-hmm. I wasn't sure. And I wasn't one of the biggest surprises for me, other than, of course, John Williams, was I didn't like Karen Allen coming out on stage. I just, I never thought, I didn't think she was going to be in this movie. And it just like made my heart sore because I was so like, I hadn't read a spoiler beforehand about them being divorced or them separating from the cans reviews. And I was like, oh, come on, man. We waited so long for them to be together. Yes. Like, they were apart for so long. And to only come back and have this happen again, it really drives the point home when she says, in Raiders, like, they can never catch a break. Yeah. And it's it's just like, this has been their, like, 40-year history is that they just cannot catch a break and just, like, be together without something happening. Yeah. And going to one of the new characters, Helena Shaw, again played by Phoebe, she brings Indiana out of his little depression. She forces him out, <laughs> really. Yes. She forces yes. him on an adventure. And I love a complicated, flawed, hilarious, gorgeous woman. She... It, Especially she's by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. She is amazing. She just like, she's so over her head, but she's so confident. I I love a messy woman. And I love when they do it. I love when they do it well in media. Yeah. I I think one of the things I loved about Dial of Destiny 2 is just the dichotomy that they created between like what Andy would have been like as a father to a son versus how he would be with a daughter. Because whereas Mutt rebelled against everything that Indy was, being like an educator and like being like stand-up person, just like the the kind of morals that Indy grew up with and like those somewhat traditional values, even though he does like rebuke against them versus like 
his goddaughter basically like emulating everything he's ever done and like just making those qualities of his that aren't so great like exasperating them yeah she takes things a few steps further than he does yes and i just i thought it was a really lovely dichotomy and i did i loved the idea of seeing um indy in that parental role again and this time with his goddaughter because i always wanted i don't know like harrison ford always has like sons in his movies and i was just like he rarely ever is seen as like the girl dad, except for like Air Force One or something. Oh yeah, and I just I lo- I love that. I was like, yeah, and they worked so well together. Mm-hmm. Not like the characters, yeah, but Harris yeah. and Phoebe, they had great ch- chemistry on screen, and you felt like mm-hmm. they had known each other for a while. Like there was that parental and daughter feeling, or goddaughter feeling. Also, mm-hmm. with they a touch of nice, resentment. And I had just a lovely, like, natural chemistry. And it was just, it, I just, I loved it so much. So we get Sala back, played by John Reese Davis. Frit and I saw the lobby of our hotel. We I heard him first. And then yeah. I, like, I shuffled everybody out of the lobby in, like, a sense of, like, panic. I know. I thought something really bad was happening because Britt's pushing us out of the lobby. But yeah, so he's back. He wasn't in Crystal Skull. No. But we see he's in New York. Indy helped him immigrate to the city. And he has like little cute little grandchildren. And it's just, he helps Indy when Indy's framed for murder. And it was just, as a good friend is known to do. Yeah, and it's just nice that they're still buddies and Indy has a friend. I, I think it, it's just lovely to see Sala's journey from Raiders to to Dial of Destiny. And just, he's apart from probably, I would say, like, Brody, he's been Indy's, like, greatest, like, compatriot and friends throughout all of his adventures. I always think of the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland because he's the oh yes he's all over that it was like there's a reason because he's iconic yes he's he's guiding you through the, the temple of the forbidden eye we have a new big bad and that's played by Mads Mikkelsen Jorgen Voller I think is how you say his name yeah Voller yeah yeah and he and Indy have a past. He's he's really like Indy's like what is the word? His he's a foil for Indy in the way mm-hmm. that like they're both researchers, educators, they're interested in this kind of stuff. Yeah, they just fell on different sides, basically. Yeah. And Mads is so good at being evil. I remember at celebration, he came out with Phoebe. And I believe it was Mangold. And Mangold's like, oh, he's playing our villain. And Mads is like, he's just misunderstood. He's a good guy. Joking around. I'm like, no, he's so good at playing evil, isn't he? He does know how to make a good baddie. I would honestly say, though, as far as like indie baddies go, you hate like in the grand scheme of things. 
Yeah, he wasn't too, like, outrageous. He was, like, a quiet kind of bad. Yeah, it's just, it's, like, the the one thing that made him terrible, of course. He's not. But they brought in the history of America using Nazi scientists to help us go to the moon, which, you know what, they don't really like to put in those, like, school books. No. But it's well, true. They never, never want to acknowledge that fact. Yeah, no. It's something that I found out in college, and I was like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? But yeah, so he helped. He helped because we're, we're at 1969. Everyone went to the moon. There's a really cool scene with a parade. An Indian horse. Indian always got to be on a horse. Doesn't matter. Took the horse to the subway. Yeah. It was a great chase scene. A good time. Although I will say, I think the best chase scene was the, what did I call them? The tut? They're tuk tut. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, the little cart. Yes. 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 That whole scene was fantastic. They showed that scene at the Lucasfilm presentation in celebration of Friday. And I was like, I was excited, but also I don't like getting too spoiled about a movie, but it really did make me hype because you saw Phoebe and Harrison just going at it and just yelling while having this incredible chase scene. I think it's made even more funny when you hear that Phoebe Waller-Bridge totally like crashed one of them while attempting to drive it. He ran into a Mercedes or something. This is why you have onset insurance. It's all about the the fun behind this story. Yeah. So going back to Mad's character, there's a whole like prologue before the movie starts. Mm-hmm. It's like a good twenty minutes of it was very long. I, I was surprised. Or like it was longer than I expected. I guess I should say. Same, because we see in the trailer there is a DH indie in the trailer, but- and we're like, okay, there's just going to be like a flashback. This is a 20-minute sequence, and honestly, this is the best de-aging I have ever seen in any movie. Mm-hmm. And you found a quote from Harrison about this. Yeah, so he, in regards to the de-aging, he was talking to Esquire magazine, and he. this is just how he explained the whole process. You would, he, he said, I think they have every foot of film that was exposed to me during all the time I worked for Lucasfilm. So they have this library of images and they combine it with artificial intelligence for a position of my face for the light or whatever. And then I put little balls on my face and I say the word. And then they take that part and they stick it in that part. But it's perfect. It's not like Photoshopping the aging. It's my actual face at that actual age. Yeah, and I think it, maybe that's what one of the reasons how they got it to work so well, the technology obviously is advanced too. There's so much footage of Harrison Ford. They took a task that was monumental to begin with and they shot it out of the park. We're so accustomed and used to Harrison Ford's age, like face at that age just because of Star Wars, because of Indy. And like we've seen him as this character at that age. Yeah. And they just did an incredible job. And it's because of this decade-long history we have with this character that they were able to do that. Because a lot of the times in film, like, 
when they're doing a de-aging scene, it's like, it's not because this is the fifth film in a franchise that spanned 40 years. They're just doing it to do a flashback. Yeah. And they don't have that technology or they don't have that footage to make it look as good as the creators at ILM do. Yeah. I'm just thinking of, I think it was Ant-Man had Michael Douglas de-aged and he looked very plastic. Yeah. And again, that was a very short scene. He's just in a meeting yelling at some people. We see Michael Douglas again, I believe in Infinity War, still like the same kind of thing. Of course, we go back to Luke Skywalker in The Mandalorian, which obviously probably didn't have the same budget as Indiana Jones. And also there's not as much footage of Mark Hamill as there is Harrison Ford. But what really got me about this de-aging was, yeah, it was long, but also there was so much action with it. Because when Mm -hmm. we see this kind of stuff, it's very usually stagnant. They're like sitting, standing still, mostly just very brief movements. But this guy was swinging. (laughs) He was jumping. He was running. He was punching. And yeah, he was almost getting hanged. Yeah. So it was like right at the end of the war. And the Nazis are like, okay, we have this and this, but Mads, is, but I have this style of destiny, which I think is better. And of course, there's just an amazing action scene. And another iconic indie reveal, because if you think about Raiders, for at least a few minutes, he's just shrouded and it's not until he has the hat on and his face comes up to the light and stuff. And in Last Crusade, when it transitions from young Indy River Phoenix to Harrison Ford getting punched in the face, he just has the best opening scenes. Yeah. Like the first time you see him in an, in an Indiana Jones film is always iconic. Yeah. The intro, yeah, it was great. And then it just goes straight to... 80-year-old Indy, sad. <laughs> Very Thinking sad. he's going to hit some 20-year-olds with a bat. Yeah, he's literally that old man who says, turn down your music. Yes. So we have Ethan Isidore as Teddy. We have another yeah. kid in the mix, which is fun. Like I told Britt this, and she was shocked. I was like, as a kid, I love Temple of Doom. Because of short round, because I love the idea that Indiana Jones like has a kid who can go on adventures with him. So I like that for the younger fans to see like Yeah. Now it was lovely. And also I think it was really lovely if you heard Ethan talk about his casting process and everything. He said that when he was able to call his family and tell them that he was cast. His grandfather started crying because Raiders of the Lost Ark was the first film that his grandfather ever saw in theaters. Mm-hmm. And I just, I thought that was so lovely. And I think it's so special. And I respect that connection that a lot of people have with Short Round in Temple of Doom. I, when I like really watched all of the indie films, I was a bit older. I like I was 11 probably 11 or 12 years old when I finally like sat down and like really watched them because I'd only seen bits and pieces Temple of Doom didn't have the same effect on me that like Raiders did yeah no definitely but it's definitely as my grown-up 
brain, it's my least favorite Indian. It's it has moments. Cultural issues. That that's all. That's all. Yeah. Once you grow it's up, still, <laughs> like it's it's still a good time. Yeah, we all learned the opening number. Anything goes. We love Temple of Doom. So Antonio Banderas is in this movie. He has like a poster. He's on the posters. Yeah. And I was like, oh, he's going to be really in this movie. And Britt and her friend <laughs> Rachel were like, probably not. And I was like, no, but he's got his own poster. But Antonio has said that he's a huge fan of this franchise. He wanted to be a part of it in any way possible. So I'm really and happy. He was a he part of it. He was a part he of it. He has a poster. <laughs> He does have a poster. Look, I don't trust Lucasfilm when they give a character a poster. That's just the end of it. I don't trust them. I do not trust them when they say a character is going to be a big part of this film because, like, we've been burned before multiple times. Multiple times. Like, just think about, like, any droid that has ever been, like, emphasized on at all. And you're just like, what? The only exception, really, to this day is, like, K2 and, like, B2. But, like, some of the one from the sequel trilogies, like, what? why was this character emphasized? And then, like, Captain Phasma. Like, I just, I don't trust them. Yeah. When they give a character a poster. But again, Absolutely I, had been up, I had been up for a while at that point, too. And I was like, we passed by this giant movie theater. And I was like, Antonio Banderas. I knew he was in it, but I was like, but yeah, no. he's. It's a very short part, but it's a good part. I liked it. Yeah, no, they were banking on Antonio Banderas' stardom, which, you know what? If it'll get a butt in a seat, you do what you gotta do. Yeah. And next is Shanette Renee Wilson as Agent Mason. She also had a poster, and she wasn't in there for very long either. I had some issues with what happened to her character. I was like, really? This is 2023? It was very early, too. I thought she was going to be in it a while longer. I just, I hated that we had a Black woman in Indiana Jones for her to just die. And, like, I just it was giving me flashbacks to Tandy Newton and Solo and I was just like oh god really yep. really they gave her a poster too I did give her a poster she deserved so much more how do you waste Tandy Newton like that they okay just, we got a lot of big feelings about that yeah I just, like I just had to forget like yeah no acknowledge it yeah, it, it made me she, uncomfortable. She did great with what scenes she did have. Absolutely. She did an incredible job. She looks amazing at the premiere. Her red dress was just gorgeous. And I'm so glad she was in the film. I just wish she was in the film much more. Same. I was like, what? We just, she's so cool. And it's already, she's already uh, women in movies. <laughs> okay. So this is Indiana Jones' final chapter. How do you feel like it worked as a conclusion? Do you think it was satisfying? I think it was satisfying. And I, I think 
it was satisfying because for Harrison Ford, it was satisfying. It was a satisfying end for him. And I really appreciate something he said to Ali Plum for BBC Radio 1. And he said, the thing I admire most about these films is the depth, the subtlety of emotion, the portion, and the importance of emotion in these films. As this last one concerned age, frailty, and the changing nature of life, it was especially compelling to me because I am of that age and I wanted it to feel real for the audience. I wanted them to see the complexity of that experience with someone they've spent 40 years with. It felt very authentic. It felt like he's still Indiana Jones, obviously, but he's Indiana Jones at this age. Yeah. And it it just, so many of us, we've grown up with Harrison Ford and his entire filmography. We've seen him go from a 30-year-old man to now being an 80-year-old man. And it it felt really important for us to see what it would really be like for Indiana Jones at that age, where life hasn't been giving and has continued to take things away and about finding your place in a world that's constantly changing a good background event to have the moon landing because that's something outside of his depth yes he dealt with aliens last movie but it still was something like he's rooted in history while this major step forward into the future happened right when he's retiring from work from teaching and yeah it just it's him letting go but also holding on to what he still has and i don't know it just it felt good because i so i mentally prepped myself that there's a possibility that maybe indy will die in this because yeah. i was jaded like harrison was jaded that like he wanted han solo to die and so I was just I was mentally prepared. I was like, is he killing off all his legacy characters? And that's it. And when he wanted to stay at that battle, I was like, sir, what are you doing? What is your plan? And so I was like, I was mentally prepared for that. But the nice thing about this movie is that it still ends on it ends on a really hopeful, beautiful note that even when your life is at that waning stage, that there are things to still look forward to and enjoy. And there are still moments to be had. You might think the world is done with you. You're like, okay, I'm a relic now. I'm from a different time. But no, there's still more for him. He still has family. Yes, he still has people who care for him. And it's what makes when Marion comes back in so beautiful. Like they've shared this incredible life together through the ups and the downs, but like they've still got each other through thick and thin. Yeah, and when he needed her, she showed up. And just like, she's there. She's like, oh, I've got groceries. She's just like helping him. It was just a very sweet moment. Yeah. And I think my favorite moment in the the whole movie is when they recreate their scene from Raiders, um, which I'm not going to spoil, but it's just the most beautiful thing that I like brought so many tears to the eyes 
So I, I think that because indie has always been like those feel good tight movies, I think that this film was right. And it felt right for a final chapter of a series that has always brought hope and adventure and like fun to the audiences that have enjoyed these films. Yeah, you want that hero to win. It's inspired by the those old serial adventure movies of the 20s and 30s. And yes. yeah, you you want the hero to get the girl. You want the hero to have a happy ending. And it is more complicated than those mm-hmm. were, obviously, but we get that happy ending and the scene, the very last scene is of him grabbing his hat from the clothesline saying, nope, nobody else has this hat. This is mine. This is over. But it ends with him. And yeah. I I love that because Harrison is Indiana Jones. I love the young Indiana Jones series as a kid. We started rewatching it. And yeah, all those actors do a great job portraying him. But at the heart, it's Harrison. Harrison is this character. Yeah. No, I, I think it's a great end, considering yes. what Indiana Jones is. Yes, exactly. When I told a few people that, oh, yeah, I saw this movie already, a lot of people asked, was this better than The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? And you know what? I rewatched it for the first time since it came out. I had seen the other movies, again, because nostalgia. But I think I was influenced too much on critics at that age. I was still in school. I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, critics know better than I do about the Crystal Skull. And about, I'm like, yeah, no, it's not great. It's horrible kind of thing. But it's not that bad. King of the Crystal Skull is the reason I really sat down and watched all of the Indiana Jones films from front to back and everything. And I read the novelization before the movie came out because that was a thing then. Yep, I remember that. I knew what was going to happen in the movie. And I was so excited that Indy had a kid and stuff. And I was like, I always get the warm fuzzies when I watch Kingdom of the Crystal Skull because it was that first indie film I got to see in theaters. And it had a special spot in my heart. But I can understand people not vibing with it because I was texting you this and stuff that I believe that it's almost a little too much for the normal indie audience to have something so supernatural as the MacGuffin, something like aliens. Like it's just a little too much versus something that's rooted in like religion and mythology as your MacGuffin. Yeah, I understand that. I respect that. I get that it's just, it's just not everyone's cup of tea. But I also respect the fact that George Lucas wanted aliens. And I'm like, George, you deserve the world. You do what you want to do. Yeah, Steven Spielberg was like, George, I've done so much stuff with aliens. And he's like, fine. They're from a different dimension. Kind of thing. I mean, I would love to be a fly on that wall listening to those two men talk about Indiana Jones. I still can't believe we were in the presence of those two men. I know. I was like, the creator's here. George was like, Thank the maker. Exactly. But yeah, I think a crystal skull is better than a lot of people give it credit have. for. Yeah, exactly. But I do think Dial of Destiny 
is better. I think it fits with the franchise more. Yeah, with the dial is more rooted in mythology. And I feel like people will vibe with that more than aliens. And I think Phoebe's a better adventure partner than Shia was. Shia was a product of our generation that did not age well. Okay. It was just, yeah. it, didn't, it doesn't work anymore, unfortunately for everyone. But isn't it so crazy when there's always a star of the moment? I'm so happy it was Phoebe Waller Bridge this time. I'm so happy. <laughs> but there's always this star that everyone's like, okay, we're going to put them into every single franchise ever. He's got to be in this movie and that movie and this. And then it's like, wow, maybe that was a mistake. It's just the one the, the franchises that Shia has been in are just the antithesis of what I would consider indie to be. Being that it's like Transformers and Disturbia and what well, you can really call Disturbia a franchise, but like those kind of movies. Yeah, it's just those. I don't even know what kind of time frame you call it. Like it's like the late early two thousands film, the early aughts that. Yeah. Or the mid aughts. Yeah. It's just so hard to watch him in anything, especially probably for us because we grew up with him on Even Stevens. And like yeah. he just really t- never grew beyond that for a lot of us, unless you continued to stay with him and watched his independent work. That being said, that man is someone i would caution people not to support yeah it's hard to watch him and stuff knowing what we know now yes yeah and that is a very unfortunate part of kingdom of the crystal skull like it's something you have to put it out of your mind in order to watch kingdom of the crystal skull at least we like kate blanchett is still she's she is amazing i forgot how much i loved her she hams it up She's all in. Yeah, she is. She's like 110% in. She did a great job. She was, she was great. Fantastic. She was at a great point in her career then. Because Curious Case Benjamin Button came out not long after that. And like, it's just, she's just continued to grow and grow. We were, we were blessed there. And Ray Weinstone is great too. Like he's, he's a fun time. He's a good time. My yeah. favorite, I think a lot of my favorite lines. In King of the Crystal Skull, or like Ray White so Alive, like the the part where he's like, "You don't know him, you don't know him." I just, That's I love that. Point. I, yeah, Dial yeah. of Destiny is better than King of the Crystal. Yeah, Skulls. yeah. We recommend this movie, right? This is what we're saying. Yeah, we recommend this. Yes. If you ever loved Indiana Jones in your life at all, watch this movie. Yes. Yes. You won't disappoint. It's so much fun. It captures that feeling of adventure. And the chase scenes are great. The fight scenes are awesome. It's one of the most emotionally involved films of the franchise. Pulls at your heartstrings. Yeah. But also um, maybe laugh a bunch, too. Oh, yeah. But, like, Indy's at, like, that a very emotionally vulnerable time in his life. And, like, we as the audience are feeling it with him because of our history Definitely. with this character. Yeah. It's. I can't really think of much to compare it to. Yeah, Star Wars characters 
I feel like we don't get to know them as well as we got to know Indiana, though. No, no. It's not the same, unfortunately. Even before I saw the movies when I was like nine, I knew of Indiana Jones. I don't remember a time without him because of the MGM um, stunt spectacular. And growing up near Disney, that was a big part of my childhood. I loved MGM. And my father loved that show because he's a huge Indiana Jones fan. So it's just, it's just, it was a good send off for a character that we obviously love a lot. Mm -hmm. I think it's like the combined cultural love of Harrison Ford too. It's just, we've all been with him for like all of our lives. And it's just like, it means that much more. And yeah, it was amazing to be in the room. At that time, the man, the myth, the legend, he seemed so happy to be there. He was posing with cosplayers and he took this funny photo with George Lucas and he has his finger up and he's like smiling, like this huge smile. So funny. And he's just having a good time. And it's nice to see. Yeah. And I feel like he knows how much. He and the franchise means to all of us. Mm-hmm. Like he got to see that at the premiere. And no, it's just so nice to see him like happy and just enjoying himself because we didn't really get that with Star Wars. That's fair. Indy is his favorite child, and I'm glad that he got to see this through and end this journey the way he wanted to. Yeah, oh, I think he has a lot more input on Indiana Jones than he did on Star Wars. So, oh yeah, yeah. So he, he's just happy, and I loved the ending. I loved everything. It was great. That's all I can say. It was great. Anything else you'd like to add, Brett? Good time. It's a good time. It's a good time. It checks all those. Love you, Harrison Ford. We do. We love you, Steven Spielberg. We love you, George Lucas. We love you, John Williams. We love you, Frank Marshall. We love you, Kathleen Kennedy. Yes. Lucasfilm, thank you so much for the invite. I thank you. I think we thank you. We thank you. We both will remember that day, (laughs) I think, for the rest of our lives. That was iconic. Insane. Insane. Lucasfilm does so much for us. And it's just, we're so humbled and we're so grateful. Definitely. Well, yeah. Britt, where can people find you online? You can find me at Britt Farnell on most everything. I'm currently obsessed with my Letterboxd account. So if you want to see what I'm watching, what I'm reading, and what I'm making lists on, currently it's Wes Anderson right now, but also Indiana Jones. Like, come find me. I also have a blog called That Film Girl Britt as well. Love to see you around. Great. And yeah, you can find the Geeky Waffle at the geekywaffle.com. Geeky underscore waffle on Twitter and the Geeky Waffle everywhere else. Thank you for listening and we hope you all stay geeky. Go eat some waffles. <laughs> <laughs>